Welcome to Quantum Leap, sponsored by PBX. We've got some amazing content for you. Episodes stacked full of ideas, inspiration, and insights. All highly valuable knowledge to help you grow your business. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, as the next installment on the Quantum Leap business show, we're going to be talking about mental health. And particularly in the last 12 months, very uh, topical with COVID. Uh, this particular gentleman hails from the USA, uh, has been five times on the TEDx uh, circuit, which uh, is no mean feat itself. And there's not too many times when you can put humour and hope together in mental health and talk about suicide. Yes, that's what I said. And how to create humour out of the situation. This is a very thought-provoking uh, presentation. It is my pleasure to welcome Frank King. Hi, guys. Frank King, the mental health comedian and your TEDx coach at yourtedxcoach.com. I'm supposed to read this before I go on. Welcome to Quantum Leap Business Show 2021, the world's first 24-hour nonstop global event exposition of ideas and inspiration and thoughts, a thought forum for, God, you think I could read this. Let's try that again. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Business Show 2021, the world's first 24-hour nonstop global event exhibition, ideas and inspiration, thought forum for small business owners. And who is not a small business owner? Huh? Do you guys know this in the United States? 40% of the GDP is small business. 40%. Healthcare is 25%. That give you an idea how important small businesses are in the US, and I'm sure it's the same around the world. I am the mental health comedian. I speak on suicide prevention as a workplace health and safety issue. And let's talk about the elephant in the room right now. Wait a minute. A comedian talking about suicide. How does that work? Well, I think I'm a good choice. A couple of reasons. Number one, if you think about it, the world's first comedian was a court jester. And the court jester's job was to speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless with humor. And I believe I speak truth to the power of mental illness and thoughts of suicide on behalf of those often powerless in its grip with humor. Number two, I believe with there's humor, there's hope, where there's laughter, there's life, that nobody dies laughing. And number three, depression and suicide run in my family. You may not have heard of this. It's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. I screamed for days. I'll spare you the story. I don't want to trigger somebody, you know, <laughs> somewhere in the world. So if you'd like to know the story of my my mother and I finding my great aunt's uh, suicide, it's in my first TEDx talk called A Matter of Laugh, L-A-U-G-H, or Death, A Matter of Laugh or Death. I actually have five TEDx talks. Uh, I know what you're thinking. A comedian with five TEDx talks? Actually, I've been chosen seven times for TEDx talks. Two of them I couldn't make because I had a full fee speaking gig. Broke my heart. However, it occurred to me, uh, I've turned down more TED Talks than most people do in a lifetime. So that's why I am a TEDx coach. Yep. I teach you how to find the application links, how to fill out the application, give you best shot at getting an audition, how to handle the audition process and rock it. And then if you get the TEDx or TED Talk, help you construct that 12 to 18 minute kick-ass talk that will get as many views as possible and we can monetize the marketability, credibility, and visibility. Also, I speak on suicide because uh, I myself 
have come awfully close to dying by suicide. It was 2010, the height of the recession in the US. My speaking business had dropped off 80% practically overnight. We lost everything in what's called in the US a chapter seven bankruptcy. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Spoiler alert, I did not pull the trigger. That usually gets a nervous laugh from the audience. Should we be laughing at this? I followed up oftentimes with a story, a true one, about a friend of mine who was at my keynote. He'd never heard me say I didn't pull the trigger, although I'm sure he was well aware. He came up afterwards and goes, hey man, that can we didn't pull the trigger. Hey man, could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? Uh, again, I did not pull the trigger. The answer to the question why is in that first TEDx talk, a matter of laugh or death on YouTube. Just type in Frank King, a matter of laugh or death on YouTube, you'll find it. Uh, brace yourself. Uh, it was the first time in my entire life at age 56 that I had told anybody, let anybody know that I was depressed and suicidal. I, yeah, my family didn't know, my friends, my wife didn't know, nobody knew. I, uh, people with mental illness are often great actors. There's a reason I have a Screen Actors Guild card because I am in fact a great actor. We act like that so that, you know, we're not a burden to those around us, sometimes to our detriment. Anyway, that's why I am the mental health comedian. That's what I get paid for, basically to come in and start the conversation on suicide. Because what I discovered in preparation for that first TED talk, even though most people don't talk about depression and thoughts of suicide out loud in public, if you mention it, just the words depression and suicide out loud, then everybody's got a story. I mean, people, some of whom I've just met, have told me the most amazing things. It's, it's, it's as if they were just waiting for somebody to come along and, and mention depression and suicide. I was working on a cruise, the Holland America cruise, back in the day when there were cruises. And I, um, I, was, I was in the Lido buffet. If you've never been on a cruise, every ship has a Lido. It's a, it's a buffet restaurant, basically. It's morning, we're at sea, so nobody's getting off the boat. So everybody's eating breakfast, can't find a seat. I spot a woman, table for two, empty seat. I nod, she points, I sit. She looks up, she goes, hey, are you the comedian? I go, hey, did you enjoy the comedy show? She goes, I did very much. I said, then I'm the comedian. She starts laughing. She goes, what would you have said if I told you I hated the comedy show? They tell me I look a whole lot like him. She said, is cruise comedy all you do? I used to get that question a lot. I said, no, I'm a public speaker. And if you don't mind me bragging a bit, I got nobody else I can tell. I just got an email saying that I nailed down my first TED Talk. She goes, I love the TED Talks. What's the topic? Well, thinking I knew exactly what was coming. I said to her, depression and suicide started a countdown in my head. Three, two, one. She goes, I tried to kill myself twice. We have just met. I mean, she's seen my show, but personally, we have just met. She goes, first time in college, kind of half-hearted, not that serious. Second time, far more serious. I had graduated college, she said, graduated medical school, had the knowledge, had the equipment. She said, I had the IV started in my ankle. Suicide cocktail in one hand, syringe in the other, getting ready to load it up, and the phone rings. Well, she's thinking, do I answer it? She decided she would because she was afraid whoever it was would worry, come over and interrupt her suicide. She picks up the phone, it's her 13-year-old son. She says, I don't know if you heard something in my voice or had a premonition, but he said, mom, don't do anything. She said, so I didn't. I did not give up on the idea of suicide, certainly, but I decided not to do it that day because I thought he would always feel guilty. Wasn't there something he could say or do to prevent my suicide? Well, the good news is there are things you can say, there are things you could do, and maybe we'll cover that later on. I said to her, how old is he now? She said, he's 21. I said, does he know his phone call saved your life? And this became the theme of my TED talk. She said, no, how do you start that conversation? 
that's what I get paid to do. Start the conversation. Because if I get up on stage and I tell my story and I'm vulnerable, especially as a guy, because guys don't talk about those things, especially someone who's not a clinician, then it gives people in the audience, whether it's live in the audience or on YouTube, permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences surrounding depression and thoughts of suicide, which is very important because silence kills. Here's the deal. Eight out of 10 people who are suicidal are ambivalent, meaning they want somebody to notice and say something. Nine out of 10 give hints in the last week leading up to an attempt. Direct, indirect, verbal, nonverbal, behavioral. Again, the vast majority of people who are actively suicidal want somebody to notice something and interrupt. So that's a good news. And you can, you can make a difference. You can save a life and you can do it by doing something as simple as starting the conversation. Now, why all the talk of suicide at an event for entrepreneurs? Well, I've read two studies. Both of them came to the same conclusion. A full one-third of people, entrepreneurs, are depressed and suicidal. One-third. And the clinicians determined it was because of long hours, little sleep, and unmet expectations. I believe that is probably true for many of the entrepreneurs. But I bet there's somebody listening to me right now for whom that is not the case. I believe there's a, significant, a mathematically significant number of entrepreneurs who are not, not depressed and suicidal because they're entrepreneurs. They are, in fact, entrepreneurs because they were depressed and suicidal. That's my story. If you watch my fourth TEDx talk, it's called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. And it was inspired by those two studies of entrepreneurs. I believe there are there is a mathematically significant slice of that entrepreneurial population that is depressed and suicidal because they were doing something else before they were entrepreneurs and they were living with depression, thoughts of suicide, and they came to a crossroad, the juncture at which they decided, you know, this is not my life. These are not the people with whom I should be spending my life. I should not be doing this for a living. And they had a dream of starting a business. And because they're depressed and suicidal, as I was, they think to themselves, you know, if I don't change something, I'm going to kill myself sooner rather than later. That's the exact thought I had. If I don't divorce my wife, who's a wonderful woman, and quit my insurance job, my first job out of college, and start doing stand-up comedy, which is where I believe with all my heart I belong, sooner rather than later, I'm going to kill myself. My second thought was, well, I could divorce my wife, quit my job, you know, try stand-up comedy. If it works, great. If it doesn't, hey, I can always kill myself. I've met a half a dozen or more people, entertainers, entrepreneurs, other creative types who had the very same thought process. Yes, it's, it's a, one of my clients that we're, we're looking at TEDx for, he taught me this word, individuation. And the subtitle of his TEDx will be, what if who you are isn't really who you are? In my case, who I was wasn't really who I was. I believe in the case of a good number of entrepreneurs. If they, in, in their previous life, previous business, previous relationships, they were not, you know, who they, who they were was not who they were, and they made the jump. Fortunately, as you well know, I didn't pull the trigger. I'm still here. But that's, that's, entrepreneurs kicked off, that's where I got the idea for that fourth TEDx talk. And I consider uh, suicide, those thoughts of suicide, as a superpower, because otherwise I would not have made the jump and tried stand-up comedy. Think about this. I had nothing to lose. If I stayed put, I was going to kill myself. If I took the entrepreneurial route and tried stand-up comedy as a living and a business, which, by the way, I've been doing full-time for 34 years, then I was going to kill myself. So what did I have to lose? 
Stay put, I die. Try comedy, might work. And I live, might not, still kill myself. Yeah, think about this. There are few things on this planet more powerful than somebody with absolutely nothing to lose. Because I had absolutely nothing to lose, I could put all of it on one roll of the destiny dice. Fortunately, things turned out really well. Now, in the United States, and I'm sure around the world, small businesses and entrepreneurs are hurting, especially here in the U.S. right now with all the lockdowns. They think 25 or 30% of restaurants, independently owned or you know, corporately owned, are going to go out of business. Um, gyms, same story, because they're locked down. They can't, they can't, people can't go, uh, you know, and so they're probably not paying their membership dues. So, and all, almost all of these folks are small business people, entrepreneurs. It's creating something I believe is extremely dangerous. It's creating situational depression. I've got a TEDx, well, it is a TEDx talk pitch and a keynote called Social Distancing and Staying Sane. Don't worry about your mentally ill friends. And the reason after the pandemic started in late March, I realized that as a person with mental illness and high functioning, I'm well equipped to survive the pandemic. And you know why? Because if you have mental illness, and I have two, you wake up in an uncertain world every day, whether there's a pandemic or not. So you have to figure out a way, medication, therapy, and techniques to be able to get out of bed in the morning, put your feet on the floor and move through the world. I have a a, a self-care plan. Five things in my self-care plan. Diet. I'm on the keto diet. I do intermittent fasting. I, I eat about once every 24 hours because I can control those things. Two, exercise. Can't go to the gym, but behind this TEDx virtual background, there's an old Nordic track, some rubber bands, perfect push-up, so I can do a workout at home. So diet, exercise, good night's sleep. A good night's sleep is restorative. Meditation. I meditate twice a day. It's a guided meditation called the catnapper. Go online, type in the catnapper, catnapper, one word, MP3. I think the Monroe Institute put it together. It's 29 minutes, takes you down, brings you back up. It's like a mental and physical reset. Lowers cortisol levels, blood pressure, yada, yada, yada. So that's my self-care. Oh, and medication. I take an antidepressant. Uh, fortunately, the first one that was prescribed for me worked. Now, let's say you decide to take an antidepressant. It doesn't work. They now have what's called a DNA cheek swab test, kind of like Ancestry.com. They take some DNA from your, inside your cheek, and they try to match that with the antidepressant that will work best with your metabolism. So you get a lot less of the go on, doesn't work, taper off, go on, doesn't work, taper off. So it had, had mine not worked right away, I would have, in fact, taken the DNA cheek swab test. I think one of the companies, just you type in DNA cheek swab depression test, and you'll find four or five companies that that offer that couple hundred bucks uh, and most insurances in the US cover it. I think even Medicare covers it. And of course, if you live in a country, a westernized country outside the United States, <laughs> then chances are, since we're the only ones with a you know, for-profit healthcare system, probably you can get it from your national health service, I'm guessing. Do I sound jealous? Um, I am, I'm going on Medicare in 11 months and I cannot freaking wait. Yeah, I know. Well, you want the government in your business? I'd much rather have the government in my business than some third-party administrator, some clerk going, you know, this medication your doctor prescribed for you is not really prescribed for that, that situation. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Yeah, put the, I'll, I'll deal with the government rather than some third-party, you know, bureaucrat who's wielding power by turning down my medications that I need to live. Just saying. Anyway, 
So diet, exercise, good night's sleep, medication, meditation is my, are my self-care plan items. That is my self-care plan. I practice something called gamification. Try to make it a game getting out of bed in the morning. Try to make it a game getting to the gym in the afternoon. Here's how I get myself out of bed in the morning using gamification if I'm having a rough time mentally. I make a to-do list, six things. And the game is when I scratch off number six, I don't care if it's three in the afternoon, broad daylight. I can go back to bed and binge watch Disney Plus's uh, Maladolorian. Maladolorian. Maladolorian? I can never get that right. Maladolorian. You know, the Disney program. (laughs) Or whatever. That's the game I win. The gym's 25 minutes away. So my deal is, if I go to the gym, go inside the building, when you can go to the gym, and I do one rep of one exercise, I can go home and uh, go back to bed and binge watch a show that I can actually pronounce. That's the game. That's how I went. Now, I must tell you, I've used that to drag myself to the gym many times. I've never gone in, done one bicep curl, and turned around and walked back out. But the option's there. And if I get to the gym and I want to win, I just turn around and go back home after that first bicep curl, of course. Now, the other thing, and they ask a guy in the space shuttle, a guy, I'm sorry, not space shuttle, a gentleman, an astronaut who'd been in the space station for a year, pretty much by himself, except for the, you know, drop by to give him some groceries. How do you handle that sort of social isolation? He said, one word, routine. He said, I go to bed roughly same time every day, get up same time every morning, eat my meal same time, exercise same time, binge watch Netflix same time. He said, routine is the key. You have to control the things you can control. And you know, a lot of people who used to work in an office, they had to show up at eight, they got let, let go at five. It was very structured. Now they are at home. I would say at home working. No, now, now their office is their home or the home is their office and they're managing their own time. It, it, I don't think people understand how difficult that is. Be your own boss. You know, one of the toughest things about being your own boss, managing your time. There's always something you could be doing, you know, to avoid what you should be doing. And my advice is if you're working from home or your home is your business office, shut the computer down at whatever time, you would normally leave the building when you commuted to work. Just shut it down. And then the next morning, let's say eight o'clock in the morning when you're supposed to be at work, you plop down your chair, fire the computer up. Google, apparently, if you call them after 6.30 in the evening, West Coast time, you'll get a recording that says, listen, out of respect for our employees, safety and health, we shut the computers down at 6.30. Leave us a message if you've got an issue or call us tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when we open back up. Brilliant. Their employees cannot work past 6 30 in the evening yeah i wish more companies would and google by the way said look nobody's coming back to this building and uh, i think it's in the bay area until at least june 1st of 2021 it gives people it sets down a marker you know because part of the problem with the pandemic is it's who knows when it's gonna end much less ease up i mean we just got the vaccine in the u.s so i think and we have a new administration don't get me started and i think it will ease up I'm not sure everybody's going to be going back to work at Google in the building on June 1st, but I think things will get better. However, in the meantime, it's a friend of mine says, it's kind of like this, Frank, if I asked you to run 20 miles, what would you say? I said, well, you know, I, I could probably go 20 miles. I'm not going to do it in record time. I might walk a little bit, but I'm, I can do 20 miles. He goes, yes. And you know why you feel that way? Because if you're going 20 miles and you hit 15 mile mark, you're thinking, I, just, I got five miles to go. I can do this. But what if I said to you, run? Well, how far am I going? Don't know. When can I stop? Got no idea. I'm not going to be quite so enthusiastic to put on my Nikes and head out the door. 
that's kind of what the pandemic is like. I mean, think about this. The last recession, a phrase I never thought I'd use in my lifetime, the first one that almost killed me. Again, don't get me started talking about why we had a recession. Although, you know what? It was um, right there at the tail end of the last Republican presidential administration. And here we are again, the tail end of Republican administration and a deep financial hole and a pandemic. Yeah, I'll let you draw your own conclusions. Anyway, where was I? I digress because I do it so well. Uh, let's see. Pandemic. Oh, I know. The last recession, you know, uh, the, the market crashed. There were several days of financial, you know, um, what's a uh, financial um, uh, crisis, financial. Anyway, several days of financial, just things going nuts. And then we began to rebuild. 9-11 happened on one day. Three spots, one day. Horrible as it was. The next day we began to rebuild. And by the way, here in the U.S., we're losing a, a 9-11's number of Americans every day. 3,000 plus Americans are dying of COVID every day. And, and, and I'm guessing, you know, there are a goodly number of those who are entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's just gonna be, yeah. I guess the only silver lining that, there is my cousin's father-in-law ran a restaurant in New York City last recession and they survived. Of course, they didn't have to deal with a pandemic but they survived. And the next two years were the best years they had ever had because, you know, 25 to 40% of the other restaurants closed. So it's, I mean, I think there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel for many of us, but unfortunately when it comes to small business and entrepreneurs, not all of us. So let's go back to situational depression. Let's say you're neuronormal, neurotypical. You've never been depressed and you can't seem to mentally get yourself out of bed in the morning, but you don't know why because you've never lived with depression. You may not have any idea what it looks like. That's what worries me. So I recommend if you're, if you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning and don't know why, I would say it's chances are situational depression. And I would recommend a telemedicine appointment, telehealth appointment with a mental health clinician professional to get evaluated. You know, is it situational slash short-term depression that you're dealing with? And if it is, and I'd recommend, if they recommend, an antidepressant. And you know, a lot of normal people scoff at that or balk at that because they seem to think if you start, you'll never be able to stop. And that's not true. You can go short term on antidepressants just to take the edge off, not to make you giddy or overly happy, just to take the edge off until the pandemic eases up and people go back to, you know, to the eating in restaurants and working out in gyms. And then you taper off and you may never have to, please dear God, never have to use them again. So to my entrepreneurial small business friends, anyone who can hear the sound of my voice, do what mentally ill people do in a situation that is uncertain, which by the way, is every day for us. Self-care plan. I recommend diet, exercise, good night's sleep, meditation, and if necessary, medication. Practice a little gamification to get things done and establish a routine. You've got to put a routine in place to take the place of the routine you had when you were commuting to work every day. And you know what? There may be a lot of folks who will never go back to the office regardless of the pandemic. Companies have discovered that people can be efficient from home. So you, you need much a much smaller office space, which means you know your lease payments are lower, your electricity bills are lower for the company. So yeah, I would, you know, we we need to get comfortable working 
having an office at home or our home is our office because this may be you know that new normal everybody talks about that's just simply my advice so if you are struggling and you are otherwise neuronormal and you have no idea why you can't get out of bed in the morning get evaluated and if it turns out you have short-term or situational depression medications indicated take the meds trust me i didn't take any meds till i was 60. i took a supplement called sam dash e sam e get it at costco it's relatively inexpensive 400 milligrams in the morning and it's good for mild depression might do the trick for you only two side effects it's good for your joints and it's good for your liver so it is yeah it's 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 that's what i did from it from for the last couple of decades before i finally said to my physician hey how about prescribing something for you know depression and he said why do you need something for depression and i told him the stories i told you and he couldn't grab his prescription pad fast enough and i got i got a medication and it, it works it's one by the way that works for 50 percent of the people the other 50 percent of the people I'm, i mentioned it to go oh i tried that it was horrible so you know each individual is different don't forget the dna cheek swap test yeah and again don't worry about your mentally ill friends and here's why we are sort of like that greek character sisyphus in Greek mythology. Do you know the story? Sisyphus gave fire to man, supposedly. And that was his big crime. And I'm glad he did because I love barbecue. But he gave fire to man. And his punishment was, see if this sounds familiar, to, to roll the rock up a hill every day. And with the idea that once he got the rock over the top of the hill, he could retire. But of course, every time he got the rock near the top of the hill, it rolled back down to the bottom. So he had to start again fresh the next morning. Having a mental illness is like that. Every morning you wake up, there's a rock in a hill. Some days a rock is small and the hill is not so steep. Some days a rock is a boulder like it is during the pandemic and the hill is Kilimanjaro. But every day, regardless of a pandemic or what else is going on in the world, if you have mental illness, if you live with mental illness, there's a rock and a hill and your job is, and my hope for you is that you're able to move that rock every morning. Now I said I had two mental illnesses. One is called major depressive disorder. It's organic. It's in my wiring and my chemistry. Somebody said, will you get cured? No, there is no cure. I don't battle depression. I live with depression. It's sort of an Aikido technique to live with depression. I don't oppose the depressive force. I blend with its energy. Is what I try to do when it rears its ugly head. And it does. Major depressive disorder lasts anywhere from three days to two weeks. My cycle's three days. And recurs like a flat spot on a wheel. It's coming back. Now, here's the benefit of that. If somebody's depressed and they've not been through many of those cycles up and down of depression, they tend to live in the immediate present and they can't see that life will ever get any better. I, knowing my cycle, three days, down the first day, flatten out the second, come back up the third, know that things will get better in three days and I can hunker down. Again, that takes me back to the neurotypical neuronormal people who are depressed because they don't, may not know what it is, may not know that it's situational. They may be living completely in the present and, and concerned that life will never get any better than it is at that very moment. Now, let's say you suspect somebody has depression. What signs and symptoms? Eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep. They have trouble getting up in the morning but rallying in the afternoon. So you have a Zoom conference with them in the morning and they, they're constantly late. But if you do the Zoom in the afternoon, they're sitting there early, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed. Here's one you can actually observe on Zoom. If people are depressed, they often let their personal hygiene go. So when you see them, they're usually pretty well put together. 
But this day, their hair is a little dirty. Their clothes don't look that clean. It may be because they cannot get out of bed to run a load of wash and go to the bathroom and do their ablutions. They are depressed. So what do you say to somebody who is, you believe, depressed? Here's what you don't say. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Turn that frown upside down. Have you tried fish oil? Oh, trust me. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Here's what you do say. I'm here for you, and I mean it. I know you're not uh, crazy, lazy, or self-absorbed. I know that depression is a mental illness. The good news is with time and treatment, things will get better. I will take the time to help you get the treatment. Here's a question that is most difficult to ask. If you can't ask this question, you find somebody who can. If, if they say they're depressed, you have to say, are you having thoughts of suicide? Now, let's say they're not forthcoming with those thoughts of suicide, but you still suspect, and I say always go with your gut, that they're having thoughts of suicide. How would you know? Well, there are signs. Uh, talk about death and dying, Googling death and dying. Death and dying appears as a theme in their artwork, their music, you know, their writing. They're getting their affairs in order, especially giving away prized possessions. They want to make sure that the possessions go to the people they want them to go to when they're gone. And if they give away a pet, an animal, that is especially dangerous. Um, they're gathering the means to die by suicide, whether it's stockpiling pills or buying a gun. Here's one that's counterintuitive, but I think extremely dangerous. They've been depressed forever. And all of a sudden they're happy for no apparent reason. And you're happy because dear God, they're finally happy. Problem is they may be happy because they have chosen time, place and method for their suicide. And they know that their pain is finite. That's something neuronormal people don't usually understand about suicide. You'll hear somebody say, why did he want to kill himself? There's a good chance that the person did not want to kill themselves. They simply wanted to end the pain. So let's say they do say they're suicidal. The, what do you say? Well, do you have a plan? If they have a plan, what is your plan? If the plan is detailed, you need to get them on the phone or texting to a suicide prevention lifeline, wherever you happen to be. It's called different things in different countries. Um, if they're an immediate danger to themselves or someone else, you've got to call law enforcement. That's just bottom line, because I get that question. When do, you, when do you call law enforcement? If they're an immediate danger to themselves or others. Now, let's say they are depressed and suicidal and have a plan, but it's not particularly well formed. You know, it's not really detailed time, place and method. My next question, and you won't find this in a psychology book anywhere, a psychiatrist and I came up with this in an effort to allow people to speak more openly about suicide, suicidal thoughts in an effort to save lives. I would say, well, tell me, you're going to kill yourself. And if they say no, I say, tell me why not make them give voice to their thoughts of why they're gonna stick around. Now, I said I had two mental illnesses and this may be the most important thing I say all day because I have something called chronic suicidal ideation. It's not even, not even in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychology yet, but it's a thing. Every time I've spoken in the last six years, except once, uh, here's, what, here's what chronic suicidal ideation is. For me and people like me, people in my tribe, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. When I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden. Get it fixed, buy a new one, or I could just kill myself. That is chronic suicidal ideation. Every time I've spoken in the last six years, except once, there has been somebody in the audience who has chronic suicidal ideation. They had no idea it had a name. They thought they were just some kind of freak because of the way their brain worked and completely alone. Now, here is one of the reasons why I can't kill myself. A young woman came up to me after a college keynote, and she said, thank you for your keynote. I said, you're welcome. She goes, but I got to tell you, it made me weep. I said, how did it make you weep? She goes, you know your story about your car? 
get a fix, buy a new one, just kill yourself. She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I had no idea it had a name. I thought I was some kind of freak because of the way my brain worked. She goes, and when you said that out loud, I realized for the first time in my life that I'm not alone. And I wept. And I won't kill myself for this reason. Because I'm sort of like George Bailey. Do you know the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where he's shown what Bedford Falls would be like if he were never born, wasn't there, you know, to help those people. I feel like George Bailey because of all the people that have come up to me after my presentations and I have informed them they are in fact not alone, that it's a thing. Yeah, it's, I've been shown what these people's lives might be like if I were not there to speak and reassure them that it has a name, it's a thing, and you're not alone. And if I took my life, I would take the lives of everybody who has chronic suicidal ideation, who didn't get a chance to hear me speak and reassure them they're not alone. So if I died by suicide, I would take all of those people with me. That's one of the reasons I don't pull the trigger, as I mentioned earlier. That, that's my why, that's my purpose and my passion. So anyway, that's the story. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, God bless you. I hope you survive the, the pandemic, the lockdowns, the whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, I, I do believe with the vaccine being distributed all over the world and the new, new administration in the U.S. is taking it seriously and they've got adults in the room that we will get a handle on this. Everybody will get vaccinated who wants to be vaccinated and the world will find, a, you know, a new normal. It'll seek a different plateau. I don't think it'll ever be the way it was before, but, you know, the only thing constant is change, correct? Do me a favor. Here's my phone number, 858-405-5653. That's in the U.S. So it's 01-858-405-5653. If you're having thoughts of suicide, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline or whatever the similar organization is in your country. If you're having a really bad day and you're living with some sort of mental illness, call a crazy person. (laughs) And that's my phone number because I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to do what they call should all over. You should do this. You should do that. I'm just going to listen and co-sign whatever nonsense you're going through. And you don't have to explain anything to me. And, and call me if, if, if you're worried about somebody else. I get calls all the time. You know, my sister-in-law, I think she's suicidal. What in the world do I do? Happy to steer you to the page in Google where you can find resources wherever you happen to be. So anyway, if you need me, call me. 858-405-5653. I know it's crazy, but... People go, you're crazy to give out your cell number. You know what? Lives are at stake. It's not crazy. I'm crazy. <laughs> I know crazy. You guys enjoy the rest of the conference. I'm Frank King, the mental health comedian, and Frank King, your TEDx coach at yourtedxcoach.com. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to make a quick note of anything you found particularly useful. Join our LinkedIn page at www.linkedin.com slash showcase slash quantum leap business show to keep up to date with news, content, and forthcoming events.